starts with a desire planted deep within your heart. You pray in faith and wait for God to move. But time passes and you wonder, did he hear me when I called? Should I even have prayed that prayer at all? You'll never pray a prayer your father will not answer. He can't ignore his child's earnest request. While you're waiting and believing for what you thought was best, trust God if he says no, you're, you're still blessed. There must be a time when childlike faith must graduate to trust. Trials come and you're convinced you're on your own. But the teacher's often silent while we're in the hardest test. And till answer when it's time with what is best. You'll never Thank you, Taylor. 
Wasn't that a great song? You know, there's three kinds of answers to prayer. That God answers every prayer, three kinds. Yes, no, and wait. If we had our choice, it would always be yes. Always. We wouldn't pray a prayer if we didn't want it to be answered. Yes, but sometimes God says no. And there's a greater yes because his no's are really yeses for us. They're really good for us. And sometimes the hardest answer is wait because we want it right away. We, we pray for it. We expect it. We want it right away. And sometimes God says, just wait, my child. I've got something so grand prepared. I haven't got it finished for you yet. So praise be to God for the greater yes that he does answer. Shall we just look to the Lord in prayer? Father, we thank you today that you've brought us to this house of worship, into this place where we can come aside from the cares and troubles and trials of this world and all the bad news that seems to overwhelm us on a daily basis. We thank you, Father, for being with us and to never leaving us nor forsaking us. And we pray that you will speak to our hearts through your word today. Please help me to be hidden behind your cross, Lord. And may the words that are spoken be your words. And may the Spirit of God touch every life in a specific way so that we can go home changed, encouraged, convicted, challenged, built up in our faith. And we just ask for your blessing now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's amazing. We all have secrets. You know, I don't know about you, but it's not always easy to keep a secret. If someone tells you something and say, keep this a secret, sometimes it's really hard, especially if it's a surprise party for somebody and you have to keep it totally secret. So when the person comes in, they're surprised. It's a secret. But you know, we all have secrets in our lives. We have things that we wouldn't want other people to know about. It's interesting in the political race, you have the people running for president and vice president now. And they always look, especially their opponents, look for the dirt. They look for the secret problems and sins of their life. They look for the skeletons in the closet. We all have things in our lives that are secret, but guess what? We may keep our secrets from everybody else in the whole world, but our secrets are known to God. He knows our hearts. He knows everything about us, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And still, God loves us. That's the amazing thing to me, that he would still love me after knowing everything about me, inside and out. God loves us. You know, just this week, Sarah Palin's email was infiltrated by a teenage hacker. He went into her email and got into her private email. And people were appalled by it. And it is. It's a terrible thing, people getting into your private affairs. But we as Christians have an open book before the Lord. Our lives are open before him. He sees everything we do. He hears everything we say. He knows our thoughts, our motives, and our desires. Nothing is hidden from the eyes of the Almighty. God knows what goes on in the boardroom. He knows what goes on in the bedroom. And he knows what goes on in the bottom of our hearts. Nothing escapes the notice of our God. The title of our message today is The Secrets of the Heart. The Secrets of the Heart. We're going to look at three things today. Because God knows my secrets and all about me and all about my secret sins in my whole life, what should I therefore do? Number one, we have to be saved. 
Number two, we have to be sanctified. We have to be clean. We have to be holy in his sight because our lives are open to the Lord. And third, we need to be sincere and honest in all our dealings with the Lord and with other people. You know, the word secret is really great in the dictionary because it means kept from public knowledge or from the knowledge of certain person or persons, keeping one's affairs to oneself, secretive. Something known only to a certain person or persons, purposely kept from the knowledge of others. You know, we as Christians should be sincere and honest. We should not live secretive lives. It's always dangerous to live secretive life and have a second life off to the side that is not from God. We should live the same way at church as we do at home and the same way at work. We should not live duplicate lives or double lives. May the Lord encourage us. Turn with me this morning, if you would, to Psalm 139 and verse 23. Psalm 139 and verse 23. David has just given an outstanding, excellent psalm here. And he has even said in the first part of the, ver of the chapter, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought from afar. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways and so on. And then at the end of this book, he makes a prayer to the Lord. And notice what he says. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Have you come to that place in your life that you want God to shine his spotlight of his word on your life? Or are you keeping some things hidden and secret? Remember that story we heard a long time ago. It's a great book, too. My Heart Cries Home. The man gave all the rooms of his house to the Lord except one closet. And because he didn't give that room to the Lord, the Lord smelled something very bad in that closet because that man had been holding on to that, that sin in his life, that that thing that was between him and the Lord. And so we have to get to the place in our lives where we say, Lord, take it. Take it away. Cleanse me. Search me. Help me to be a better Christian in this world. You know, David was not perfect. He's known for two sins. Who can tell me what the two major sins were for David? Adultery? Murder. You would think, how could God save a person like that? How could God love a person like that? How could God forgive a person like that? How could he be even called a man after God's own heart? And I'll tell you how. Purely by God's grace. He does the same thing with us. If God was to look at our lives in totality and he saw all our sins and all the bad things we've done, he still loves us. He says, I've forgiven you for it. I've forgotten about it. And I'm going to use you in your life. And that is only by God's mercy and by God's grace that we're here, that we're saved. And if you don't know the Lord, that's the only way to know him is just to come as you are and say, this is my life, Lord. These are the sins that I've committed as terrible as they are. Please forgive me. Please come into my life and change me. And he will do that in an instant, in a moment. So let's look at our first point this morning, which is we need to be saved. You know, God knows everything that we've ever done. He knows what we're doing now and what we'll do in the future. He knows what we're thinking. 
He knows what our motives are and our desires, everything about us. It's absolutely amazing. But you know, when we come to church, we all look good. We dress up in our nicest clothes. We sound good. We say all the right Christian jargon. We go through all of that. But I wonder, when we leave this building and we get into our cars and we go home and we get up the next day and go to work or to school or wherever we happen to go that day, if our lives are the same way, if we still represent the Lord Jesus Christ and the fragrance of Christ is in our life. You see, man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. Now, that gets kind of uncomfortable sometimes. Sometimes that gets very convicting to think that God sees everything. He knows everything. But he's a loving God, and he's a merciful God, but he's also a holy God. And he wants us to live for him every day and not keep any secrets from the Lord and not live secretive double lives. A number of years ago, you may have heard of this story. There was an FBI agent by the name of Robert Hansen. He was arrested for passing secrets to the Russians. And he had been doing this for year after year after year. And the FBI knew there was a mole. They called him a mole in their midst. Somebody that was passing along secrets. But they didn't know who. Year after year went by. And he started getting this money from the Russians, buying certain things and so forth. Well, one day it came crashing down on him. He was arrested. He was put on trial, he was convicted, and to this day he's serving a life sentence in prison for that. He's a traitor to his country. He kept all of this secret thing going. His neighbors didn't know. Many people in his family didn't know. The FBI didn't know. People he worked with didn't know he had a secret life. We as Christians should not have a secret life. So easy nowadays to have a secret life. People can get on the computer and do bad things and nobody sees it. They can watch bad movies when nobody's around and go down and get them. They can get them on the, in the mail now. They don't have to go to those pornographic shops anymore. People just get them in the mail and so forth. Secret life. Christians should not be secretive. We should be open before the eyes of the Lord. Yes, in eternity, our lives will be exposed. We may keep things secret now, but the Lord will reveal it in a coming day. In Luke chapter 12 and verses 2 and 3, the Lord Jesus said it very well. There is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. And what have you have spoken in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. All we can say to that is, wow, that's amazing. Everything will be revealed. Adol referred to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 on Wednesday night, and it says this, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Does that scare you this morning? Does that verse scare you when you say you have to give an account. The Bible says we have to give an account of ourselves to God. Not of anybody else. We have to give an account of ourselves. And so that's why it's convicting and that's why God brings us to the place in our life where we face ourselves. We look ourselves in the mirror and that's what we have to do. And when we look into the mirror, we see that we are sinners. That's why the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. That means me. That means you. 
In Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So many people think, well, I can get to heaven if I do good works, and enough of my good works will outweigh my bad ones, and I'll somehow make it, maybe by the skin of my teeth, but I'll get to heaven. You can't get to heaven that way. Because our sin is like this heavy burden, this heavy load. We can't get into heaven in our sinful condition. But the Lord Jesus Christ came. He died on the cross, took our place, took our sins, and died for us so that we can have eternal life and we can go to heaven. Well, what happens when you look in the light of Scripture at the heart? What does the Bible say about the heart? That we have good hearts, all of us? Born with good hearts? No. Listen to what it says in Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's a description of my heart. That's a description of your heart before we come to Christ. And then he goes on to say, and who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. You know, there's so many people think, well, I live a moral life. I live an ethical life. I'm a good neighbor. I give to the American Cancer Society. I help out with all kinds of things in the community, that will not get anyone to heaven. It's strictly by what Christ has done for us on the cross. That's the only way that we can make it and be forgiven of our sins. And that's why David prays this prayer. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. If God was to go out into this audience today and search your heart, what would he see on the inside? Not on the outside, what we see, but what will he see on the inside? Is it a heart that is purely for him, that loves him and follows him, that accepts him into, his, into your heart? Or are you holding back? Are you holding back from him? That we do not want to do. God knows our hearts. God knows our lives better than we do. That's an amazing thing. God has all the knowledge in the world. And you can either stay in darkness and continue to walk that way, or you can come to the light, the Lord Jesus Christ. Recently, I got one of those license plate frames. I went on the internet and I ordered it, and you can custom make it. So the, the license plate frame says, Jesus, follow Jesus, the light of the world. And my license is John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I've been noticing a lot more people following me lately, and they're looking at that frame. I mean, it's really effective. It really is. But it's convicting, too, because I have to really drive really well. <laughs> because I've got it covered. I got the fish on there. I got the license plate. I got the frame. And the last thing I want to do is get the ticket <clears throat> or get in trouble with anybody. No way. We have to be so very careful. God knows all things. One day in a newspaper, they wrote this. The editorial said this. What's wrong with the world? Well, a man named G.K. Chesterton wrote back in reply, I am. I thought that was very telling. What's wrong with the world? I am. Because I'm a sinner, this world is a sinful world. And that's why Jesus Christ had to come and die on the cross for us sinners. If we were good enough, he wouldn't have had to come. He wouldn't have had to die. But the scripture said there was none good. There all were sinners, and we needed to be saved. 
Today, it's very hard for people to admit they're a sinner. They say, well, I made a mistake. I made a boo-boo. I did something wrong. They don't want to say I sinned. But that's the first step. You know, when you go to these groups like they have Alcoholics Anonymous and all these things, the first thing they tell you to say, they say, you have to say, I am an alcoholic, or whatever it is. I am a drug addict. You have to admit it right up at front. So why is it hard for us as human beings to say, I am a sinner? I'm guilty. I know I've been wrong. That's the hardest thing. And once you admit that, then it's the easy part is to come to Jesus and say, Lord, here's my sins. Please forgive me. Come into my life. But to admit that, that we're sinners, that's the first step into coming to Christ. That's why the hymn writer said it so well, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. It's good to know that that weight is off our back. That guilt is off our back. That shame is gone, and God has forgiven us when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, not only do we need to be saved, but then we need to be sanctified. We need to be walking with the Lord. We need to be holy. And one of the most unpopular subjects today is the subject of separation from the world. Because nobody wants to stand out in this world. They want to just blend in. But we as Christians, we have to stand out because we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. He saved us. He shed his blood for us. We now belong to him. And he wants us to live lives that are separated from the world and set apart for him and so that we can be a blessing. So that our private life and our public life will match up. And that's where the challenge comes in. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Is your heart loyal to the Lord? Are you loyal to him above everything? That is what God wants us to be. He wants us to be loyal people, to follow him, to be saved, and then to walk with him, have that close personal relationship with him. I like what Thomas D. Bernard said. He said, our sense of sin is in proportion to our nearness to God. I'm going to say that again. Our sense of sin is in proportion to our nearness to God. In other words, if, if you draw near to the Lord and you get close to him, you realize how sinful you are. If you drift from the Lord, you think you're okay. That's the way it is. That's a principle of scripture. That's a principle of God. As we draw near to the Lord, he's going to expose more and more things about us. It's not going to be pretty sight, but that's what David wanted. David wanted to know the truth. He said, Lord, search me. Try me. Know me. Reveal to me my character the way I am so that you can change me. And that's what God wants to do with us on a daily basis. He wants to change our lives. And I didn't know we were going to have that hymn this morning, but it goes right along with what we are talking about here. We sang this morning, I am thine, O Lord. I have heard thy voice, and it told thy love to me. And I long to rise in the arms of faith and be closer, drawn to thee. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, nearer. Nearer, blessed Lord, to thy precious, bleeding side. In scripture, James said it so well. He says, draw near to God, and draw, God will draw near to us. But he says, make the first move. We have to make the first move. God is there for us. He wants to be close with us, but he has to draw near to me. 
And when he does, when we do that, he will draw near to us. He goes on to say in that verse, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your minds, you double-minded. I think the problem with so many Christians today, they're living double lives. They're living with double vision. Vision for the world and a vision for Christ. And you can't. You can't live double lives. It's okay in the creamer that says half and half. That's good. You can put that in your coffee or your tea, whatever. But that's no way for the Christian to live. Half for the world, half for Christ. It does not work. Get rid of that idea. We have to be the pure thing. We have to be trusting in the Lord 100%. I like what the great preacher Peter Marshall said about sin and how it affects the believer in, how, in our lives. He says, we are too Christian to really enjoy sinning and too fond of sinning to really enjoy Christianity. Wow. Most of us know perfectly well what we ought to do. Our trouble is we do not want to do it. Guilty. We oftentimes know what we ought to do, right? But we don't do it. We're guilty of that. And the Lord says, don't be that way. You can't really be a saved person and enjoy this world and think everything is great. Because it's not. It's a sinful world. People use sinful words, sinful actions. You can't live or work among people without being affected by it. We feel sometimes like fish out of water. We're ready to go to heaven. We don't want to stay in this evil world because it's getting worse and worse and worse. People think it's getting better, but it, you cannot find anything better about it. It's a sinful place. It's on its last legs. But our lives, our true lives, are measured by the way we live when nobody else is around. That's really the case. Whether you're married or single or you have kids or not, there's always times where you're going to be totally alone by yourself, just between you and God. But he sees everything, he knows everything, he hears everything. And the way we are before the Lord in private like that is really the way we are, not the way we come across in a, in a group or public setting where we all look good. We have to examine our own heart and say, Lord, show me, change me. Make me a better Christian. That's why David could pray, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, do you pace the floor and wear out your carpets by doing it because you're so worried and troubled about things? Or do you wear out your carpet by kneeling on it? You know, I have a spot next to my bed, and I put down this towel to uh, protect my knees. And I pray at that same spot. Well, I can see in the carpet after all this time of praying. That's the way it should be. We should wear out our carpets through prayer, not through pacing up and down, worrying about what's going to happen. What am I going to say to my boss? What am I going to do tomorrow, Lord? What am I going to do? Instead of doing that, take it to the Lord in prayer. He already knows about it. He's already got a solution for it. He wants us to be close to him and rely on him. So many times I think we have great faith in the pew, like in the chairs here today, but little faith out in the real world. And that's what he really wants to do. He wants to test our faith so that we will be separated from this world, set apart for him, and be a blessing. During World War I, Donald Gray Barnhouse, the great preacher and writer, witnessed to a young man who was a from a prominent American family, and he won him to the Lord. And he went off into the military, and he told his friends about the Lord. And then he came back after the war, 
And he said to Dr. Barnhouse, he says, I'm worried now I came back from the war that I'm going to go back to my old friends, my old habits, my old ways, and I don't want to do it, doctor. What should I do? And he says, this is what you should do. Go and tell the first 10 people from your old group about your faith in Christ, about how you become a Christian. And guaranteed, you won't have to worry about those friends anymore <laughs> because they will lose you. You won't have to lose them. So he said, I'm going to do it. So before he even got off the, the train, there he comes off the train, and there he is on the station, and he meets a girl that he used to know socially in the town. And she says, oh, it's great to see you back. And he says, yes, I've got some great news. Oh, really? Are you getting married? And he says, no, better than that. She said, better than that? Yes, he says, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, her expression froze. She said a few polite words, and she left, and that was number one. Then he went on and he talked to some other people. He talked to this young man he used to know. He said, oh, it's great to have you back. We're going to have some great parties. And he says, well, I have to tell you, I've become a Christian now. And as soon as he told that, the same thing happened. The guy says a few things and he goes off and it happened to each case. You know, when we come out and tell people that we're Christians, number one, it puts us in a position where we have to live Christ. Number two, people are going to want not to have as much to do with us because before, when we're in the world doing all the things they're doing, they love us. But when we stand for Christ and mention the name of Christ, they don't like us. There's a lady at my work, and she doesn't mean to do it, and she isn't really part of our group, but she doesn't have an office in the other place, so she sits in among our group in this small little room. And sometimes she uses the Lord's name in vain. And my boss knows I'm a Christian, and all of them do. She does, too. And she says, oh, I'm so sorry, Dean. And... <laughs> People notice, because if we're saved, we have a, a conviction uh, for these things, and it really convicts people. May the Lord help us to be a blessing to those around us. Turn back, if you would, to Psalm 19, verses 12 to 14. There's a beautiful couple of verses there. Psalm 19, verse 12. This also is spoken by David. At the end of Psalm 19, verse 12, he says, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Then he says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Yes, we want to present Christ to this world. We want to live a godly life before them. But what's really critical is what God thinks of us, not what people think of us. We have to have the kind of character that pleases him. And that's why David says in Psalm 139 that we read this morning, and see if there be some wicked way in me. Yes, there are wicked ways in us because after we're saved, we still have this old nature. And we have to fight it. We have to crucify it and put it to death on a daily basis. May the Lord help us to be a blessing. Bible commentator Howard Hendricks put it well. He said, the conduct of believers as children of light exposes the deeds of those in darkness and reveals the vast contrast between the two. If there's no difference between my life and the person in the world, are they going to want to follow Christ? No. 
We have to show the love of God. We have to show his peace in our life. We have to show the joy in his life. And when they see us, they should see Christ. It should not be getting, giving us any credit at all. It should be all the glory going to the Lord because he's the one that changes our lives. And then finally, not only is it important to be saved and to be sanctified, but it's also important to be sincere. We must be sincere before the Lord, honest before him, and before our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why we have to call sin what it is, an abomination to the Lord. That's what he calls it in the scripture. And that's why when David confessed his sin before the Lord in Psalm 51, it says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. That is what our sin does. It's against God, not just against people. But the devil always whispers, it's okay to do it. Nobody will find out. Nobody will see it. Nobody will know about it. That's the devil. Don't listen to the devil. We have to be sincere. We have to be honest. We have to judge sin in our life, judge evil in our life. I think about Joseph. Remember when he was in Potiphar's house and he was serving so faithfully and one day Potiphar's wife wanted him to come and sin with her, and he wouldn't do it. And the words that he used were so telling. It says this. He said, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's what we have to think. Our sins aren't just against people, although they are, but they're against God primarily, first place. Someone once said, secret sins on earth are public scandals in heaven. That's another one of those wow things. Secret sins on earth are public scandals in heaven. Why? Because nobody on earth may know about it, but it's known in heaven. It's wide open in heaven. That's why we have to live sincere lives before the Lord. And when we sin, we have to immediately confess it, deal with it, and get it behind us, because otherwise it'll drag us down. That's why James tells the believers also, he says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Yes, it's so true. May the Lord help us. You know, I read a story that's really fascinating to show the difference between politics today and politics back in 1884. How many have heard of President Grover Cleveland? Okay, that's a long time ago, a little before our time, but... He was running for president in 1884 against a man named Blaine, James G. Blaine. And James Blaine's supporters found out that Grover Cleveland had been having an illicit affair with a widow. Now, at this point, he was not married. He was single, but he had this affair, and the woman got pregnant. And so it was a big scandal. I mean, can you imagine in 1884, that is a big scandal. So his detractors, they went all up and they were putting billboards up and the handbills and, and they were saying negative things about him and all kinds of things. But guess what? The move backfired so badly because rather than deny the story like the politicians would, oh, I never did that, he admitted it and in front of everybody admitted it and by being honest and being sincere, he won the presidency. What would happen if our politicians were that honest today? I mean, they would come out and say, you know, this is going to come out later, so I'm going to tell you right now, I did this, this, and this. But I've turned away from it. I'm not doing it anymore. Honesty. Honesty, as they say, is the best policy. And God wants us to be honest, and he wants us to be sincere. 
Yes, the hymn writer said, Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior, know my heart, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. Yes, if we don't deal with our sins privately, God can expose them, like I said, publicly. And that is what he we don't want to happen. So in conclusion today, let us remember, God knows everything about our hearts, everything about our lives, every secret, every secret sin, everything we've ever done, ever thought, ever experienced. And still, he loves us. And he says, come to me and I'll forgive you of everything. And I'll give you a new heart and a new start and a new life in Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you haven't got that new heart, and it's really uncomfortable when you hear that God knows everything, and God is knowing it in heaven, you can come to him and he'll wipe the sleep clean today. Just like a giant eraser on a giant chalkboard, he'll erase everything. There'll be nothing left. And then as Christians, we have to be honest. We have to be sincere. We have to live clean lives. We have to go out those doors today and say, Lord, help me to live the same way as I did at church. Help me to be that kind of person. Not to have any secret sins. Not to have anything that we would be ashamed of that would bring shame to the coming of the Lord. And before we close, I just want to read one verse that I read recently from the book of Ecclesiastes. If you want to turn to it real quick, it's Ecclesiastes, the last chapter. Twelfth chapter of Ecclesiastes, verses 13 and 14. It's amazing how this verse ties into our subject. It says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Here's the best conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. May the Lord help us to live non-secretive lives. Help us to live lives that are clean and pure and holy. It's a challenge to me. I got very convicted. It's a conviction because we want to please the Lord. He sees everything. We want to encourage others. We want to live for Christ. Shall we just close in a word of prayer? Father, we pray that if there's anyone here this morning that has not experienced a new birth and been saved and not, doesn't have a new heart and a new life in Jesus Christ, that today will be the day, Lord. We know that you expose our sin not to make us feel bad or ashamed, but you expose our sin to show us that you died for our sin, Lord, and you want us to accept you, Lord Jesus, into our lives and be born again and to have a new life so that we can know that all those sins are forgiven and we're going to heaven. And Lord, we pray that you will bring salvation to people today. Please help us as believers, Lord, to walk with you in a close relationship when we sin, Lord, and we know we're going to sin because we have the old nature. Help us to confess it immediately and forsake it not to have any secrets in our lives, Lord. Help us to be open and honest and sincere. And we just commit ourselves to you, Lord. Please take us home safely today. Help us to live as godly Christians in this corrupt, evil world. We pray in Jesus' name.